Uh, hey, let me uh, start with a poll real quick. Uh, how many people like concerts? Who are concert people? Wow, more than not. Hey, just so you know, I don't understand you, okay? I put concerts in the same category as soccer. And so, and just so you know, three of the four siblings that uh, went to TCU play soccer at TCU, so I feel like I have some research on this. Um, when I think about soccer, I think, man, veiled elbows. I think, like, hidden shirt, you know, tugs. The worst of all is the flop, you know, where there's not even contact and they hit the ground, amputation time. Uh, at least that's what the rolling around communicates. Then when I think of concerts, just did not grow up in an artistic family, didn't think that. It's like a guy sitting in front of a microphone playing guitar was not something that got my attention. Um, that was until I saw this cute little girl uh, wearing Wranglers, wanting to country dance, and heading to a concert. And I was like, well, that cute little girl ended up being my wife, and she took me to a concert that Changed all my thoughts about concerts. And that concert was Garth Brooks, fall of 1998. When he was angry, flames came from the stage. Guitars smashed. Uh, when he was sad, the rain fell from somewhere where I do not know where it came from and where it went. But there it was, moisture coming from the sky, uh, a miracle. And, uh, and so it was like, oh man, so not only was it really my first concert to embrace, but it was also my last one to enjoy because he ruined me for all other concerts. And so I love Garth Brooks, a uh, side note, at college, I actually was pulled over for doing 95 and a 70 driving. I got out of the ticket by saying I was listening to Garth Brooks too loud. God bless Texas. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so love Garth Brooks. He's one of my favorites. Um, and there was a unique story. He kind of retired kind of the early 2000. And in 2005, he came out of retirement, one of his five times coming out of retirement, to release one song. And he released the one song, did one concert, and then he went back to wherever retirement was. And the one song has a really unique story about it. And we're going to listen just to about a minute of it here. Watch this little song by Garth Brooks. doesn't know who Chris Ledoux is. When I say Chris Ledoux, you're like, he must be French. Fantastic. Thanks you for your honesty. This is an authentic place where you can claim who you are. And so for those of you who didn't raise your hand, but also really want to say, Chris Ledoux was a really unique guy. And actually he inspired the reason Garth Brooks does what he does, did what he did, 
comes out of retirement and does what he does, is because of Chris Ledoux. Chris Ledoux was a guy, as the song goes on, he had more gold buckles than gold records. Like he was a rodeo cowboy, not just a rodeo cowboy, he did bareback buck riding. And he would win these gold buckles. And, and labels would try to sign him for singing, for writing, but he wouldn't do it because he didn't want to taint the rodeo. He would ride in the rodeo and sell records out of the back of his truck and keep on riding the rodeo. And, and these artists would come around and go, man, this is the guy who is the real deal. And in fact, the only time he actually signed a record is when Garth Brooks started to make it big and he talked Chris Ledoux come into signing with his record so Finally, he, you know, he got into it. Uh, funny story about Chris Ledoux, or not funny, but sad, but also unique, is Chris Ledoux was diagnosed with liver cancer in 2000, and Garth Brooks was like, I will give you half my liver. Can I give you my organs so you may live? He wasn't a match. Um, Chris Ledoux ended up keep on struggling with that disease all the way to 2005, and that was Garth Brooks' song to honor him uh, in his life. And the reason he loves, the reason many people love Chris Ledoux is he was the real deal. His rodeo experience exceeded his songs. Like, whatever people talk about country, now we're in a really weird spot with Florida Georgia Line and people, I don't know what country music is anymore. Um, but people who talked about that, they always looked at Chris Ledoux and go, man, does he, is he okay with that? Because he is the real deal. His, uh, his rodeo exceeded his music. His character exceeded his reputation. His passion for the rodeo was greater than singing about it. And, and, and really what Good Ride Cowboy is just Garth Brooks' interpretation of Matthew 25, 23, which says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant, except what he says was, well done, good ride, cowboy. And so it's this kind of uh, ending of the story. And the reason I tell that, the reason I bring that up, the reason I play that song is, uh, man, sometimes in our lives, a lot of times in our lives, we look at what we do and we realize that our reputation exceeds our character. What, where we truly are as following God, following, following the Lord, going, man, this is how my week looks and what I'm known for, what, what people think about me, there's a deficit there between uh, who I am and who I'm perceived. And, and so here's what I want to, the questions I want to ask to you um, is where in your life does your reputation exceed your character? Where in your life does your image exceed your true self? Where in your life does your profession as a follower of Christ exceed your obedience of Christ? And just say very plainly, where does your talk exceed your walk? Like where is there just a deficit? It is just a miss. And it might be all over. It might be in a certain area, uh, whatever it might be. But where is that deficit in your life? Um, on your tables, there's this little piece of paper. Uh, it might be more for me than it is for you as with 24 hours, man, just trying to get my thoughts organized and uh, in the right place. But just asking the question, how can we have a private health be greater than our public image? How can our private health be greater than our public image? And I got three answers for you. Dependence, depth, and when there's dependence and depth, man, we deliver the goods with our hands. We are faithful works with our hands. That's where we go. The first one. Man, when we're looking to have a private health that's greater than a public image, the first thing we stop with is dependence. 
is we don't buy the lie that I can do it on my own. Um, in 2015, there's this great commentator named uh, Constable. He writes this free commentary at soniclight.com. It is the opposite. If you ever heard if something's free, it must not be worth very much. This is that turned on its head. It is the most valuable free thing I've ever encountered. And uh, I decided to try to read kind of the historical books of the Old Testament um, kind of, uh, and just read Constable's Note, try to get the story. And, and there was a few huge takeaways as I just started marking up my Bible and reading things and the story making sense. And there was this one particular story that kind of went on this idea of dependence um, and, and walking through the story of Israel. And it starts in 1 Samuel 4. I didn't put the scripture. There's too much for us to read through in this time. But 1 Samuel 4 catches the nation of Israel, and they're at battle with the Philistines. And so they're battling with the Philistines, and the, and the Israelites are just losing. They, they're just being taken out, and they, uh, they stop, and they ask the question and go, uh, why isn't God, you know, giving us victory? And it's funny little section of scripture. They never actually ask God. They just ask themselves the questions. And then their conclusion is they're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know, is this gold box. It has angels on top or their best interpretation of angels. It's got Moses' stick. Uh, it's got a little jar of manna. It's got the uh, Ten Commandments that Moses threw on the ground. So some, some bad things, some good things. But this is God's box. And we're going to bring it to our camp and we are going to kick their tail. And so they bring the ark into the camp, you know, without asking God, not saying what God is. They bring it to the camp, and there is this war cry. Think Braveheart when they lift up their skirts, you know, and it's, it's you know, blurred out on, on the family channel, whatever it is. And they bring it to the camp, and there's this war cry, and the Philistines fear. They just go, man, oh, no, the living God has come into their camp. And, man, there's, what are we going to do? There were fear and trembling, and then suddenly the next verse the Philistines defeated the Israelites and took the ark. You know, and there's a great little play. The ark makes its way around. A statue falls down on it, um, makes its way back to Israel. But, but, uh, but ultimately, the ark did not save Israelites. Okay, so fast forward uh, to the next, next book, 2 Samuel uh, in 15. Uh, David is the king, and he is being run out of his city by his boy. And so David had sexual sin. That sexual sin uh, played it out to his son, um, his foolishness, laziness, idleness. And he's being run out of his city with his son. And the priests come behind him and bring the ark. And they go, hey, this, this ark is following the king. And, and David's response is very, very different. And he goes, no, no. Hey, Zadok, who's the priest at the time, he goes, hey, you know what? That ark is going to stay in the city. You are going to stay in this city. Hey, I'm not sure what God has for me, but I'm going to go with my God out into the wilderness. And if he brings me back, he brings me back. If I die in the wilderness, I die in the wilderness. May his name be praised. But I don't, I don't need that. Man, all I need is God. And the little note that is now pasted the top of 2 Samuel 15 in my Bible is this little note from Constable. And he says this. I thought it was so wise. He says, here's the difference between those two stories is that pride seeks to use God. Pride seeks to use God. Humility seeks to know God. Pride, independence, I can do it on my own. Hey, here's what I do. I've got a plan, and I might use the things of God, but I'm going to do it how I want. And, and my pride, I seek to use God. In humility, independence, God, whatever you have for me, that seeks to know God. 
Guys, there's some blanks on your sheet. You could fill them out, not fill them out. However, they're helpful. I'll send them out if you're not. Um, Pride seeks to use God. Humility seeks to know God. And just from time to time, we have to get out of the realm of going, man, it is about a relationship with God instead of a a contract and a deal. Uh, Some friends in here, when we do ministry around the city, I always say this, that there is no partnerships in ministry. There's no partnerships between churches, parachurch ministries. There's no such thing as a partnership. There's a relationship. You know, if I know that guy, if I'm walking with that guy, there's a relationship in the same way with God. There's not a contract. There is a relationship we have with him. It's routine versus relationship, something I'm just kind of doing as a habit versus relationship. It's a task list. I'm supposed to do this versus my time with God. I'm putting time into cultivating a relationship with God. It's chore versus enjoyment. It's chore versus I'm enjoying God. Um, Something I have a really hard time with, maybe some of you guys have the same, it's figuring out what rest is. I'm a little bit ADD, I like to be a little active, and I don't know, it's a hard time figuring out what rest is. Um, And I know it's not, the kids are in bed, and let me flip through the channels and see what's on TBS, TNT, ESPN, whatever, whatever's in the guide. I know it's not that. Um, and when I look at the scriptures and I love to go to rest, I don't like to go to the Sabbath and those things. I love to go before that into Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God is creating the heavens and the earth, the birds of the field, the, beast of, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. And on the seventh day, God stops and God rests. And he doesn't rest because he's tired, doesn't rest because his iPhone is killing him. You know, he doesn't rest because he is worn out. He rests, what the scripture says, to enjoy what he created. And a lot of times, it, rest for us is synonymous with enjoying God. And so here's the question when it comes to dependence and relationship, what does it mean for you to enjoy God? It's not a habit, it's not a chore, it's not a task list. What would it mean for you to enjoy God, to enjoy who he is? Uh, You know, this summer, uh, I've got a a fourth grader, a second grader, and a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old. It's amazing in my house. Everybody's almost speaking English, like you can almost have a conversation. The cribs are out of the house. The diapers are still in it, and we are working. We, like, made our way, and then make back this. If you're not a parent in potty training, it is something... I think you forget because of weird. Um, And so it is awesome. We're all speaking English. And so we just uh, reached, my fourth grader just turned 10 this summer. And which, you know, not to make it about me, but so I have logged a decade of being a parent. And here's what I've learned from a decade of being a parent. One, I got a long way to go. (laughs) Like, man, 10 years under the belt, and man, I am thinking, am I going to be at a spot before this kiddo leaves my house where I can love him, shepherd him, care for him? Is, is God going to get to a spot not where he's done with me, I can love him well? Um, and number two is I always thought the best gift I was going to give my family, the best gift I was going to give my wife, my kids, my loved ones, was confidence. Like they were going to look at their daddy. My wife was going to look at her husband. They were going to see clear eyes, conviction, leadership, service. I mean, you know where this guy is going. There, there is no passivity. There's no waning. Man, there was going to be confidence. And confidence is not a bad thing. Actually, Todd, that is his favorite word to phonetically separate. If you've ever been around Watermark, you well, it's confide, with faith. That's a good thing. It's with confidence. But what I learned is the greatest gift I can give my loved ones is not confidence, it's brokenness. 
It's brokenness. It is a dependence on God. The best advice I think I, my kids will remember is not when I said something really snazzy. Um, is when I decided to listen. Um, I, I think the best thing they're going to remember is not them, uh, daddy sitting down and giving them consequences and walking through. I think the best memory and the legacy they're going to have is daddy asking for forgiveness and going, I'm so sorry. You know, um, uh, there's some guys that have mentored me, have given me this idea and celebrated it and give this idea. Uh, a guy named Jim Wimberly is over at our Dallas campus, mentors a lot of young dads, and he had this idea is uh, you buy a Bible for your kids, and you get a wide margin, and just through their 18 years, you read it, and you write out prayers. And uh, at 18, you know, you give them that gift. And, and how that plays out in my head when he turns 18 or is about to leave the house, give him that gift, and I go, man, May the legacy be as me as daddy. It's not that I did good. It's, did, it's man, your daddy is faulty, is missing. But I want to let you know your daddy prayed for you. That there is a better father than the father that you got. And it's right here. Man, the best gift we can give our loved ones is brokenness, is dependence on God, is loving them well. How can our private health be greater than our public in- image? Dependence. The second one is depth. Is depth. Not servicey, but death. Um, my wife uh, loves her idea of heaven, or not heaven, sorry. Uh, her idea of the perfect vacation, heaven on vacation, is a book on the beach. I cannot imagine anything worse than a book on the beach. And, and so not only am I going somewhere to read something that I could read at home, but you're putting me in a place where I have to apply 50 SPF. Um, the sand gets everywhere, and there's really no activity. I'm sitting on a chair. Like, why did I travel this far for this? Um, and so we have a constant negotiation of what the next vacation is going to be. Uh, there was a special negotiation when she wanted to go on a cruise. And so I'm thinking, okay, not a book on the beach. You're going to lock me on a motel that's floating, you know, with a Luby's buffet. <laughs> that does not sound like fun. Um, and so we had negotiations. We negotiate in our marriage. And negotiation was, I will go on the motel that has lubies floating in the ocean if you go scuba diving with me. And she is afraid of scuba diving. And so uh, she agreed. And we get to the scuba diving training. And uh, it is not, uh, I've been scuba dive certified, so I just kind of know the realm, but she has never done this. And we get into the scuba diving training, and it is a little bit, it is a little bit uh, rusty. And so the guy leading the scuba diving training doesn't speak English very well. And so that's, that's, the, first, that's the first hit. It's a, like a 10-question true-false so you don't kill yourself is really what the test is. And, um, and so the first question on the test, and he kind of gives a live test. He goes, hey, um, and, and he doesn't speak very good English. He says, uh, don't rise faster than bubbles. Lungs explode. Um, and a tear falls down my wife's cheek. <laughs> and, so what does a loving husband do in this situation? You keep going, right? You see, this is a growing moment for her. Um, and uh, so we did, we did. We kept going. Um, we got through the 10-question test. Uh, no lungs exploded. She got into the water. And uh, after being afraid of going, okay, how much time is this going to take? What, what, what is this scary? Uh, man, we left our guide in the dust. Man, we saw eels, we saw all these things, and we got, we went farther than we should have. It was supposed to be a 20-foot dive. We went all the way down to 40. We walked through, and she just had a ball and had so much fun. And when we think about just where we are, just shallow in our walk with God and integrity and walking true, a lot of times we can be fearful of going deep because it's gonna take a lot of time. 
man, when I get there, what, what, what am I really going to be made of? You know, is something going to happen, be revealed that is, I'm not going to like to see? What happens if I really get to the depth? Here's Matthew 22. It's right there on your sheet. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? He said this. Hey, here's what you're supposed to do. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart. So all of your emotion, your relational, all of your soul, which means all of your being. And I love this. I love to share this with those who are doubting. They go, man, with all of your mind, when we worship God, we're not supposed to turn off our brain. That we are supposed to be all in to what God is doing. That we are supposed to go all in, no matter what fear or worries that God calls us to be all in. Um, There's a little uh, survey uh, I wanted to not leave blanks on this because I thought this was a really great, great thing. It's always equipped me, helped me. Uh, there's a little survey that a guy named Howard Hendricks did. This was about 20 years ago um, with some different guys. Just so you know who Howard Hendricks was, um, he, he died uh, in 2013. And so he was a guy who taught at Dallas Seminary. Uh, his claim to fame is that at one time he was the professor of four acting presidents of seminaries in the United States. Like he, his nickname was just Prof. You know, he was like Prince, but Prof. You know, he did not need a last name, first name. If you go, hey, I'm gonna go talk to Prof, you know who he's talking about. There might be a thousand different professors, but Hendrix was Prof. He, uh, he, he dedicated 55 years to teaching uh, seminary students, an incredible man, and because of his influence, people would share with him and trust him uh, with, with things that they might not trust with other people. And so here's what Howard Hendricks did just to kind of help educate. He grabbed 100 pastors that experienced moral failure. failure. And so 100 guys who, because of their sin, whether sexual sin, uh, gross sin, they had to leave the ministry because something was found out. And he asked them a bunch of questions. And he, ha- he found four things in common. Four things, four areas that they lacked depth in. Four areas where they were just kind of walking on the surface and didn't go deep. And here's the four areas on your sheet. Each of these hundred men, they lacked true, deep relationships. They lacked true, deep friendships. They, they were known by a lot of people. Uh, I'm guessing, well, this is 20 years ago. There was no Facebook. They, they had a lot of acquaintances and engagement but no true, deep friendships. Here's a second observation. Each of them have ceased to invest in daily personal time of prayer, Bible reading, and worship. That they lack the consistency of I and keeping up this relationship with God, this engagement with God. Here's number three. Over 80% of them experimented with a temptation that they thought they could control. That they kind of went into an area and go, man, that's, hey, okay. That mean, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, I think I have the freedom to do this. You might not feel the freedom, but I have the freedom. 80% of them goes, man, I, I started to mess in an area that I just go, yeah, that's borderline, but I'm good. I could control that. Here's the last one. Without exception, each of them was convinced that moral failure will never happen to me. 
They were convinced, man, there's never going to be a time I'm going to see a prostitute and, oh, it's going to come in the car. There's never going to be a time that I'm going to be tempted by money and I'm going to embezzle money. There's never going to be a time that, hey, I'm working with that gal and I know we're talking, we're close, but we're on a staff and it's just, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, it just ro- that's never going to happen to me. They were convinced that there's no way something, they would succumb to something that would disqualify them from the leadership they had. Those are four things. That is such a great list to dive into. You got three blanks right there. And there's three things to ask you on how you're doing on depth. And I'm going to give them to you real quick and then kind of go back through them. The first one is, who are your boys? Who are your men? Who are your guys? Who are your boys that are watching after your life? The second is, what is your plan? Man, it, it, you don't have to uh, read Greek, read Hebrew. You don't have to write a book. Man, but what is your plan for daily faithfulness to cultivate that with Christ? And here's number three. How do you play defense? What is your strategy for your defense? So who are your boys? You, you hear around Watermark, fully known, fully loved, fully discipled. When you truly open up your life to a group of men and go, this is not just a weekly appointment. And I'm actually going to tell you what's going through my brain. And it might be crazy, it might be weird, but I'm going to tell you what's going on so that I can be fully loved, fully discipled. I'm not sure how many people in this room whose story they've been through Regen or engaged with Regen. Um, and I got the honor to lead the Regen Open Group for like a year and a half. And these guys would come in first night. And man, uh, the best way to describe is leadership. They would come in, they didn't know what was going on, and they would just lay it all on the line to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been leading there for a while. And it's like, whoa, I can't believe he said that. You know, I didn't say that, nor if I lead again, would I say that to you? You can't reach in. But just going, man, that is crazy authenticity. Man, you are just going all out. You want to be known. You want to be engaged. You want to run with guys. And so ask that question, who are my boys? Who is looking after my life? A scripture we go to is Ezekiel 33. Who are my watchmen? Who's watching over my life? The second one, what is your plan? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And, and think about when a plan, think consistency. This is one of the main reasons we do join the journey, not because it's, it's low level, low shelf. Man, it, it doesn't take long, but just to give a measure of consistency. What, what is the grade of consistency in your life? Here's number three. How do you play defense? Matthew 5, when it talks about a little sin in our life, it says to cut off the arm. It says pluck out the eye. And, and God's not wanting us to be paraplegics and blind. God's just saying, hey, when there's sin in your life, deal with it extremely. Get after it. I mean, just so you know where I'm in, I, I, am, I, I, could, I cannot trust myself on social media. I, I don't have a Twitter account. Actually, I started an Instagram account for my uh, kids' elementary school's dad's club. I have like 35 moms following uh, on that phone, but... I'm not on Instagram, you know, a lot. I cannot trust me on social media. And it's not about not wanting to be out there and engage with people. But if I am on a computer, on a Twitter account, a feed comes by, I just can't trust myself with that. doesn't mean that no one else can or, or things. But, man, that's an area I've had to cut the arm, pluck the eye. I just can't be out there. I, you, what can you not trust yourself with? How do you play defense? How can your private health be greater than your public image? Dependence on God, depth in it. And then when that is done, 
man, you start to see that faithfulness make its way to your hands. You start to deliver the goods with your hands. Instead of my attendance being my service, man, you are diving in. Here's Proverbs 26 through 7. Many proclaim his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man, a righteous man who walks in integrity? How blessed are his sons after him. Here's Ephesians 2.10. A lot of times we quote Ephesians 2.8 and 9, that is by work, not by works so that no man may boast. Salvation is by grace alone. But it says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That God put works in front of us. Um, hey, a funny story about my mom. So I'm the youngest of seven kids. Mom had seven kids, so obviously she's a little bit crazy, you know. Uh, she went into this, just, uh, just the history background. There were several seasons where mama was a single parent of seven kids and uh, just kind of managing that well. And here's how she did that. And so a few goofy things that happened to block her household. Um, uh, there was no curfew. Um, there was no consequences. We never had timeouts. We never had spankings. Um, my mother would teach me how to forge her signature um, for, um, um, like, field trips at school. Like, she didn't have enough time to go, let me sign all the field trip slips, so let me just teach you how to sign. Uh, she should have been a doctor. That's how bad her signature was. Um, when I was 15, uh, did not have a learner's permit, but she would let me drive a car as long as I went to church and went back. No driver's license, and mama is saying, hey, if that's where you're going, hey, just do that and trust back. I remember, um, I remember the, the, uh, we went to a traditional church. It was a priest, and the priest uh, had a couple of kids that were really struggling, and they would come up to my parents, I come up to my mom, and go, man, what are you doing? You know, your kids just seem like they are staying in line. Like, what, what do you do for, like, discipline? She goes, oh, I, you know, we don't, we don't do anything. And they're just like, what is going on? And, and so here's what's going on. Um, is uh, every Mother's Day, my call goes like this, is I call my mama, and I don't, never called her mama, but I'm just calling her mama right now. Uh, I call my mom, and I go, hey, thank you for giving me the second best gift I've ever been given. My, my first best gift was, was salvation that God gave to me. The second best gift I've ever received is that that gal, that woman, she made me believe that it's better to serve than be served, it's better to give than receive. I saw this gal serve, sacrifice, put everything on the line. She never accounted for herself, and she always served. And you just saw a joy in her, and you just go, man, I might hear a pastor say that. I might read that myself, but she's the one who made me believe it. She's the one who made me understand that equation. It's better to serve to be served. It's better to give than receive. And when we experience dependence on God in depth, it is impossible for it not to make its way to our hands, for us to serve and be after, and for us to believe that scripture ourselves and dive in. Uh, this is a little statement that's written in my margin in Proverbs. I learned this from Todd. Um, this, is, uh, this is right there on uh, Proverbs 15. It says this, Faithful men are not found by a show of hands, but by the faithful work that is done by their hands. Faithful men are not shown by guys who raise their hand and go, okay, I, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll do there. Faithful men are shown by the work they did. Hey, a shout out to a couple of guys. Um, 
So we're on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday, which is unique. And so the porch was in here last night, and I gave it to Garrett Rayburn. He gave it to a volunteer. I go, man, I think I need about 14 round tables and chairs. I came after my community group time just to check on it, and it was amazing. It was done. I learned the process of how that did. He sent an email to one guy. He recruited 10 guys, and they just, right after the porch was done, it got done. You're sitting in their faithfulness right now. And, and faithfulness is shown not by a show of hands, but by the faithful work done with their hands. And when we have dependence, depth, when we deliver the goods with our hands, guess what? Our private health exceeds our public image. And we get to walk with God. Here's the goal. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three, And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Hey, you might like uh, Good Ride Cowboy a little bit more than Matthew 25, 23, but the goal is to please the king. The goal is to, that when we think of our king, when we think of our master, he goes, man, well done, good and faithful servant. When I think, um, gosh, when I think of, man, when I think of what my kids are going to think about their daddy, gosh, you know, part of me is a little scared, and part of me goes, man, I hope my kids, man, that would be it when my kids go, man, good job, dad following Christ. You did it imperfectly, but we, we got, we got, I think, what, what you wanted to get, and that was there is a Savior who is the King of you, and you follow him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, good ride, cowboy. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. God, thanks for, uh, thanks for 24 hours of studying your word. Thanks for, uh, quick starts. Thanks for good breakfasts. Thanks for good friends. God, I just pray that we would learn to be dependent. God, there would be real depth in our hearts, and it would make our way to our hands to serve you and to love you well. In your name, Jesus. Amen.